Dear family and friends of First Lutheran Church, grace and peace to you from God our Father and from our risen Lord and Savior, Jesus the Christ. Amen. It was an absolutely gorgeous day. It was fall. And Mother Nature was all decked out in her finest fall fashion with glorious prints of bright gold and purple and maple reds. It was a day that would also include one of the most tender moments I would ever experience in my parish ministry. Now nearly 15 years ago, I'd gone to visit one of our patriarchs in the faith of First Lutheran Church who was living at Dal Rommel Village here in Sioux Falls. Ralph was now in his mid-90s. And as a former school principal, he was still known around the village for sporting a suit and tie that he put on every morning of the week. Sweet. When I arrived shortly after the noon hour, the nursing staff told me they were surprised they hadn't seen Ralph at lunch that day. He never missed. He always loved working the crowd with his attentive ear and his love for sharing an Oli and Lena joke now and then. Pastor John, they said, we don't know where Ralph is. However, his friend Norm has gone out to look for him. So where is Norm now, I asked, since I had worked for Norm Severson during my Augie years at his clothing store. And Norm, too, was quite famous for uh, wearing rather loud Hawaiian shirts, and I mean aloha. The staff then continued. Well, last we heard, Norm was heading over to Coval Lake. He was thinking that perhaps Ralph had gone over to feed the geese, which he just absolutely loved to do, but then became disoriented. You see, Ralph had early onset dementia. So I began to make my way across the, the village campus to Coval Lake, which, as you know, is only a couple blocks away. And as I approached the lake, here came Ralph and Norm, sauntering homeward side by side. It was precious. Norm in a bright and garish Hawaiian print shirt, and of course, Ralph donning his suit and tie. Norm, with his gentle spirit, had his arm draped over his friend Ralph with a kind of blessed assurance. And as I met them, I reached out to take Ralph's free hand that was shaking like a leaf. Are you okay, Ralph, I asked. He paused, his eyes filling with tears. I didn't know how lost I was until Norm found me. Listen to those words again. I didn't know how lost I was until Norm found me. 
I remember how strange Ralph's word sounded at first. I mean, don't you have to feel lost before you can feel that you've been found? Whoever heard of the found and lost department? It's lost and found, right? But this is exactly what St. Paul is trying to convey to his young protege in the faith, Timothy. Using himself as an example of how God's grace finds us in the midst of our lostness to sin and death, oft oblivious, and then awakens in us repentant hearts with tears, realizing, hey, I guess, as Mark shared with the children, I've been lost all this time. I've been living a lie. It's maybe more like our GPS's BS. Let me illustrate. I remember when Kathy and I were living years ago on the south side of Chicago, and we pitched off one night from the south side to visit some friends who'd moved out into the burbs of western Chicago. And as we were driving, Kathy said, I think you missed the exit. I said, no. Kept driving. I think you missed the exit. Driving for a few more minutes. You know the guy thing. I know where I'm going. We're fine. I think you missed the exit. Well, after about six more exits and 30 more miles, I saw some dairy cows grazing in a field. Lost, you think? Well, now back to St. Paul's letter to Timothy and us. If you know anything about the backstory of St. Paul before Christ got a hold of him on the Damascus Road, up on his high horse and soon eating road apples. He was anything but someone who considered himself lost, saying nothing of being a sinner. Listen to him in his own words. Paul writes in Acts chapter 26, beginning at verse 9. I myself was convinced that I ought to do everything in my power in opposing the name of Jesus of Nazareth. And I did so in Jerusalem. I not only shut up many of the Christians in prison, but when they were put to death, I cast my vote against them, and I punished them often in all the synagogues, trying to make them blaspheme. And in raging fury against them, I persecuted them. Now as to his ego, from Philippians 3, beginning with verse 4, if any other man, writes Paul, thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have even more. I am a Hebrew born of Hebrews of the tribe of Benjamin. As to the law, a Pharisee. And as to zeal, a persecutor of the church. As to righteousness under the law, I am blameless. Hmm? You see, St. Paul was so caught up in his own self-righteousness that he even had himself commissioned to schlep all over the bloody map in order to hunt down with his goon squad and persecute 
the Jews who had converted to the Christian faith. For the early Christian church, Paul was infamous. He was public enemy number one. He was a monster. He was a one-man inquisition. And so this is what gives us such gravitas when we hear Paul testifying to his friend Timothy, using himself as an example as to the transforming power and heart of the gospel, which is here in verse 15 of our text in 1 Timothy. If you have your Bibles open, Paul confesses. The saying is sure and worthy of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners who are lost. And I, writes Paul, am the foremost of sinners, but I receive mercy for this reason, that in me as the foremost, Jesus Christ might display his perfect patience and mercy, even for those as ignorant in unbelief and self-righteous as me. Years later, commenting on this verse, Martin Luther writes, this passage has quite often been life and salvation for me that gives me hope as a sinner. Now, can you see the amazing connection between this witness of St. Paul here in 1 Timothy and the two parables that we hear from Jesus in Luke chapter 15 of the lost sheep and the lost coin. In the metaphor of these two parables, Jesus comes to seek and save, yes, find those who've wandered off, those who've become lost and overlooked, those who've dropped out or been dropped into the dark cracks and crevices of life, whether they know it or not, whether they admit it or not. Yesterday, I was uh, approached by a young freshman who was showing off his newfound skills in Logic 101. And so, his argument went something like this. Listen in. God is love. Love is blind. Stevie Wonder is blind. Therefore, Stevie is God. Huh? <laughs> well, it sounded kind of good. But it's a fallacy classically known as affirming the consequent. And what's the consequence? Confusion of our lives, even with the best of our thoughts or efforts. Well, a little bit of theology. How many of you have read the story of Little Bo Peep? To your children or grandchildren? Think about the plot line. And now compare it with Jesus' teaching in our gospel lesson for today and ask yourself, what's the difference? Note how much wiser Jesus is, of course, than little Bo Peep. 
who's lost her sheep. For not only did she not know where to find them, but complacently, like much of the universalist theology that's going around today, that all roads, all religions come to the same God, the same Mount Fuji, spreading like a metastatic cancer, says, leave them alone, they'll, they'll come home. Uh-uh. Bad theology. Hmm? Not if you know anything about sheep. Not if we're honest, admit that all we like sheep, as Isaiah says, is the nature of us as human critters. Lost, confused. Consider the sagely insights of the human condition that come from some of our finest American novelists like William Faulkner in his light in August, or Steinbeck's East of Eden, or Graham Greene's Heart of the Matter. The diagnostic for all is the same. We can't find our way home alone, even if we realize we're lost. We need help. We need finding. We need saving. Finally, briefly, one of my all-time favorite acquaintances, a New Yorker, character extraordinaire, world-class New Testament scholar, the late Father Robert Capon. Bob writes, if we badger ourselves with the dismal notion that sinners must first forsake their sins before God will ever forgive them, that the lost must somehow find itself before the finder will get off his backside and look for it, we carry ourselves straight away from the obvious sense of both stories. And since that violates not only the parables, but also Romans 5, 8, that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us, I propose a different tack. Bob writes, these are not only parables about lost sheep and lost coins, but also parables about good shepherds and diligent sweepers. Neither the lostness nor the repentance is in itself redemptive. God alone gives life and gives it freely, fully, no condition whatsoever. So writes Capon. Which man of you, asked Jesus, having a hundred sheep? Or what woman of you, asked Jesus, who has lost her dowry coin? You see, Jesus is not only making it clear to imagine ourselves as sheep, but as shepherds. Shepherds like Norm, who are called to seek out friends or strangers, those in times when tornadoes strike, rejoicing. You see, repentance is not the main issue in these parables or St. Paul's witness, but rejoicing. The invitation from Jesus is not only about being found and rescued, of course, but it's also about joining him in uncovering and recovering God's precious children who are in the dark. In a recent Monday morning Bible study, one of the members recalled a time Many years ago, when a young girlfriend had said to her, 
I'm not afraid to die. For when I do, I'm going to heaven and I'll be held safely in Jesus' arms. And the woman in our Bible study said, my comment was, so why haven't you told me this? I've been scared to death all these years and so confused. My friends, so it is in the person of Jesus that God bends down again on hands and knees, this day in swaddling claws, arms crossed and then open, sweeping us up again into his tender bosom, finding us. He's calling the whole host of heaven as well, now including Norm Severson and Ralph Iverson to a big party celebrating his claiming word for you and all people this day. The saying is sure and worthy of full acceptance, says Paul, that Christ Jesus came to find and save sinners who are lost. And so we repent in the wonder of being found with tears of joy, a joy of hearing God's call for us to join his shepherding for the world, of a joy to the world that the Lord has come. Amen.